So the first reading is Deuteronomy 30, starting at verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the, t the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The second reading is Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, 
as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is God's word. Well, thank you for uh, reading. Uh, plenty of reading. No shortage of reading uh, for you this evening. Uh, if you're not met, my name is Matt Fuller. Let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll look at this together. A great God and Father, at the heart of our passage tonight, here is a wonderful promise that you will change us. And Father, how we need that, how we need that to become a Christian, for you to work within our hearts. How we need that uh, ongoing, for your words to be at work in us. So you move us to love you with our hearts, with our souls, with all that we are. So please, as we hear you speak again this evening, be at work amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you just bring up my tin, could you? If you're a Christian here tonight, I uh, want to encourage you. Sorry, one prop just coming, no worries. <laughs> no one saw that. No one saw nothing. If you're a Christian here tonight, I want to encourage you. Did you can obey the Lord? You can. And you can keep what he commands you to do in the Bible. And in the language of Deuteronomy, you can love him. You can love him with your heart, with your soul with your muchness, with all that you have, with all your possessions, your strength, you can. You can love him. Don't despair over familiar battles. And some of you, you know, you know there's one thing in your lives that for years you just not made huge progress with, or at the moment you feel it's just, you know, gets you every time. Don't despair. God can change you. And you can obey him. 
Now, if you've been here the last few weeks in particular, that may surprise you. We've spent, uh, what, six weeks in, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, really throughout this book has been a contrast between uh, God's faithfulness, he never, let, never break a promise, he's always faithful to his promise, promises, and yet on the other hand, Israel, the nation, his people then, unfaithful. There's sort of moments where they do okay, but they always crash. God's faithfulness, Israel's unfaithfulness. And, and these two things have been sort of running alongside one another in the book of Deuteronomy. These two different melodies, sort of one sort of upbeat and one mm, a bit glum and miserable. Uh, and you wonder, how are they going to get resolved? And, and which one wins out? Well, God's promises win out. And the resolution really between those two, the faithfulness of God, the disobedience, the stubbornness of Israel, it comes in Deuteronomy chapter 30. The problem, if you've been here throughout Deuteronomy, is uh, God gives external commands to the Israelites, and they don't change their hearts. So he gives good commands. He says, you know, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it, it, just sort of, it just sort of bashes off them a little bit. And he says, look, I've got good rules for you. Don't lie, and don't steal, and don't murder. And they just sort of bashes off them all the time. Because external commands can't change your motivations, your drive, your desires. And here in Deuteronomy 30, he says, now what needs to happen is the Lord needs to get hold of your heart. Yeah, you see why I want my tin? took me hours. Rather than just external commands which bounce off us, the promise here is that, no, the Lord will change hearts. And so now there's a people who can obey him, can follow him. That's his work. Or to put it in slightly different terms, when I was a uh, school teacher a number of years ago, uh, on uh, one occasion, I was compiling the reports of sixth form tutors, so the 17, 18-year-olds, and you're meant to write, I don't know, something like a third of a side of A4 uh, by way of report on each child if you're teaching them whatever math science. And um, I just got back a, a one-liner from one teacher, one English teacher who had written the phrase, he has enthusiasm, but trying to teach Michael is like trying to plant seeds on a cliff of highly polished granite. Isn't that one of the most poetic put-downs you've ever heard? <laughs> you sort of, you could write, oh, that's lovely. No, it isn't. Uh, and I did return it to him saying, well, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of puff first, perhaps, before you, uh, you get to the negative thing. How damning. But that is Deuteronomy. Israel is granite-like. It is, this repeated phrase, stubborn as a nation. It is stiff-necked. It won't turn and listen. It just plows its own path. Trying to get them to obey is like issuing commands to granite. And so the solution is that the Lord needs to change their hearts. And uh, that solution comes in chapter 30. 51 times you get the heart mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, eight times in chapter 30. This is the issue. We're at the heart of the matter now. How on earth can people obey the Lord? He needs to change their hearts. Two halves to it, really. One is, uh, well, let's just work through it. The Lord must change your heart, one to ten, and then you must choose to trust him. Somewhat of a balance here. The Lord must change your heart, one to ten, but you must choose to trust him. Uh, 11 to 20. First thing in chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, the Lord must change your heart. 
Now, in these verses, the real balance between what God does and what the people have to do. Key verb is turn. Seven times you get the verb, and four times Israel turns. Uh, three times the Lord turns. There's a mutual turning back to one another. And uh, at the bottom of your sheets, I've put how I think it works. There's somewhat of a, I don't sort of love these sort of uh, sandwiches or chiasms, but here I think you have to say it's unavoidable. That's what's taking place. There's a sort of sandwich to it. So you've got the, the, the bread, uh, verses 1 and 2, verse 10. You've got the sort of spread, butter, mayo, whatever you want. Uh, and in the heart, verses 6 to 8, is the center, the meat, the cheese, whatever your um, fancy feels. It's the guts of the sandwich. And you have to hold them together. So look, when you return with all your heart and soul, the Lord will return your fortunes. But at the heart of the passage, the Lord will. The Lord will circumcise your hearts. That is the key to all that's taking place. So let me uh, take these three, uh, three little things in turn. So first then, uh, you'll return, verses 1 and 2, and, and verse 10 at the, at, the, uh, at the other fringe. Here then is the future. Chapter 30, verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord God, your God, disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, Here's a point in the future. Remember, in the book of Deuteronomy, they're just on the fringes. Uh, they're at the border control, as it were, of the promised land. They're just about to go in. And here Moses says, no, look, you will go in, and you'll enjoy the promised land, and then you'll disobey, you'll fail to love the Lord, and so you'll get driven out, thrown out of the promised land. So all that will happen in the future. It will. You will fail. But after that, you'll return. You'll remember the words I'm speaking to you, and you'll return, turn, or repent. They'll walk back to God. They'll turn around. Uh, this week, I did the first, I haven't done this in ages. I was at Green Park Tube, and I needed to go to Euston. I was meeting someone at Euston, and uh, my brain was in autopilot, but just a bad autopilot, so I got on the tube. And after a couple of stops, I looked up and thought, oh, Vauxhall. That's the wrong way. That's disappointing. And I'll be late. And so what do I do? I get off. I turn around and journey in the other direction. That's repentance. That's returning. That's saying, rather than disobedience, now I choose to obey the Lord and love him. You will return. Verse 10 says the same things. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. Okay, That's the sort of the, the bread on, on either side of the sandwich. Just come in a layer to, uh, to the spread. So verses 3 to 5 and verse 9. Then he'll prosper you. Wonderful things promised here. Verse 3. The Lord your God will restore your fortunes or turn back you from captivity. It's the, he's the subject of this one. The Lord will turn. Not that he's walked off anywhere, but he'll return blessing to his people. He'll gather. So uh, uh, middle of verse three, he'll have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you 
and bring you back. And he did. You read in the book of Daniel and Esther, God's people are in Persia. We gather back from all sorts of places. So he'll turn back, he'll gather, and then he'll bring them to the promised land. Verse, end of verse four, he'll bring you to the land that will belong to your ancestors. You'll take possession of it. He'll make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Fantastic. Or verse nine, the Lord your God will make you more, most prosperous in all the work of your hands, the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, or the crops of the land. The Lord will again delight in you, make you prosperous. Wonderful. Wonderful blessings. You'll return, then he'll prosper you. But verses 6 to 8 are the heart, the center, the turning point. This is how it all happens. When he circumcised your hearts. Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. He'll do it. If you've been reading through this book of Deuteronomy, you think something's got to happen. Chapter 6 is most explicit. You need to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. Wonderful. And then immediately afterwards, we've followed them, haven't we? Chapter 7. They say in their hearts, well, we can't resist the nations around us. We have to blur with the culture. Chapter 8, they say in their hearts, we don't need the Lord. We're so wealthy. We look at what we've done ourselves. Chapter 9, they say in their hearts, I deserve heaven, the promised land. They don't love the Lord with all the hearts or mind and strength. But here he says, I'll change you. Verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, the hearts of your descendants, so that you may, you will love him with all your heart, your soul, and live The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. Verse 8, you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. You will. God's promises, his faithfulness triumph over the unfaithfulness of his people. Grace wins. God wins here because he's at work changing hearts. Now this metaphor has a certain uh, pinch to it. Um, he'll circumcise your hearts. I guess here is, he will remove all the spiritual, moral impediments to you following him. He'll remove the barriers to true devotion so you can follow him in undivided love and obedience. Now here in the Old Testament is a promise given. God will do this. And the promise gets louder and louder in the Old Testament. In uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, the promise here, he will give you a new heart. He will remove your heart of stone. And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus comes and crucified but risen, exalted Christ, pours out his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to transform people's hearts. There you see the fullness of what had been promised back here. So for you and for me, what do we do with this if we followed that? In the 21st century, you and I are still stubborn. Human nature has not radically changed. We watch different programs on telly, but human nature has not radically changed. Naturally, we're stubborn. We don't obey the Lord. We don't want to follow him. 
So two things that are still the same for us now as they were then. You still need the Lord to change your heart. So look, firstly, that is his work. Okay? It's the first thing you need to know. That is his work. You cannot change your heart. Just think of the, uh, it's a useful metaphor, isn't it? Because just in the physical realm, you can't carry out heart surgery upon yourself. Uh, you can't. It's fairly intrusive. Uh, if you've ever had heart surgery, that's a pretty passive operation. There are some things you can do yourself. I quite like the, uh, the adventure uh, run of uh, finds, you know, very impressive, you know, climbed every mountain, run every uh, marathon you can possibly run. But uh, do you know, it was about five, six years ago, something like that. Uh, he'd got frostbite and his fingers got back home and, and it wasn't, he hadn't been to see the doctor because, you know, <laughs> doctors, um, he's of that generation. And I thought, hold on a minute, uh, I've got a sort of gangrene, my, my fingers are decaying, they're going to have to get removed. And you and I might think, well, let's go to the a&E then. No, not fines. Goes to his uh, garage, gets out his Black & Decker, and uh, took off two of his fingers. And um, that's the sort of man he is. That's why he's, uh, that's, the sort of, that's how Britain conquered the globe, I think. Um, sort of fruitcakes like him being prepared to do dangerous things. You can do that. You can take off a couple of fingers if you're brave enough, brave enough uh, to do that. But you can't operate on your heart. You require someone else to do that. And morally, spiritually, you can't change your heart. God does that. We're passive. It requires a miracle of his spirit to change your heart, to circumcise a heart, to give you a new heart, to be born again. All language that the Bible would use. That is his work. But the other wonderful thing about it, for you and me, it's his work. But the other wonderful thing for you and me is that obedience follows. Verse 8, you will again obey the Lord. And you'll follow all his commands I'm giving you today. When you become a Christian, at that moment, God's spirit dwells within you. You're given a new heart and you can obey him in ways that, that, that weren't possible before. You can. We can love the Lord our God with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, resources. We can. When you become a Christian, you're, well, you're a new creation with a new heart. That's right. We're not just changed a little bit. We're radically different. To put it in these familiar terms, we're not just faster caterpillars. We're butterflies. We're not just better at guzzling leaves on the ground. We fly. We eat from flowers. You run with it. Okay? We're changed and we can obey. So can I say to you this evening, you mustn't say or you shouldn't say My history's so bad, it's too terrible for me to change now. I'm just stuck who I am. Don't say that. Don't say, my family's too dysfunctional. And I'm never going to escape from them. 
in my character. Don't say that. Don't say my habits are too ingrained. I can't change now. Don't say that. Yeah, look, old dogs can't learn new tricks. But you give it a new heart, and you can. The Lord must change your heart, and he does when you become a Christian, so that you may love him with your heart, soul, and strength. It is enormously encouraging. You can change. The Lord must change your heart. But secondly, alongside that, uh, you must choose to trust him. Verses uh, 11 to 20. It's very striking in this passage, chapter thir- in the whole of the chapter 30, you get the most negative assessment, really, of Israel in verses 1 to 10. You will fail. You will go into exile. Uh, you will be cursed by the Lord, really, 1 to 10. So you need his help. Here in verses uh, 11 to the end of the chapter, it's very positive. Verse 11. Now look, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Not too difficult for you. Because verses 11 to 14, the word of faith was near them. Verse 11, very striking, is it not too difficult? Verse 12, we need something so we may obey it. Verse 13, so we may obey it. Verse 14, look at the language. Very similar to what God has done in verse 6. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. How do you get the word into your heart? Only if God has given you a new heart. Otherwise, it just bounces off the tin. So these verses are still about a people who have got transformed hearts. The only way you can have the word of God in your heart is if he's done that work. Otherwise, it just bounces off you like a tin. So what Moses is not saying here, Moses is not saying, hey, look, I've given you all these commandments, and particularly chapters 12 to 26, pretty dense and thick with all these different rules and regulations, statutes and laws. He's not saying you can keep all of those, every detail. He's not saying that. He is saying you can have faith in God, the God who has promised to keep you, save you. You can have faith in him. This word I'm giving you now, it's not too difficult for you. You can believe it. You can believe the promise that God will change your hearts. You can do that. And Paul confirms that's what's meant in chapter 10 of the book of Romans. Can you flick back there briefly? Let me give you a, a sort of dense five minutes on what's going on here before we turn back to Deuteronomy to apply it. Romans, uh, well, let me pick it up at chapter 9, verse 30. It's page 1137. And we have to turn here because Paul picks up on the language of Deuteronomy 30 and explains what it always meant. Uh, Let me pick it up at uh, verse 
Well, pick it up at verse 30. Paul is explaining that the only way you can spend eternity with God in heaven is if you're righteous, not guilty. Perfect obedience in God's sight. Verse 31, the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued the law not by faith, but as if it were by works. That's why Israel failed. They heard God give them a load of laws and think, well, we'll keep these laws. They turn the law of God in the Old Testament into a ladder and think, well, we can climb to heaven. Great. You could never do that. That's why they failed. Their problem was they did not have faith. The only way you can keep the law is by faith in the one who gives it. What should they have grasped, the Israelites? Well, in particular, verse chapter 10, verse 4, that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the culmination, the goal, the end, the terminus, the, the fulfillment. The promise of Deuteronomy 30 was always about Jesus. He is the one who died, risen, ascended, pours out his spirits to absolutely transform the hearts of people. It was always about him. And they should have got that in Deuteronomy 30. And even though the, the lights were out and they couldn't see everything very clearly, they should have thought to themselves or known, we'll never keep this law. We need to trust in the lawgiver. We need to trust in him that somehow he'll provide a way for us because we can't do it on our own. So you get our quoted verses from Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The righteousness that is by faith says, don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Don't say those things. What does it say? What were they always meant to get from Deuteronomy 30? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. What does that mean? Well, it's this. That, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So Paul is saying, you don't have to perform spiritual heroics to be acceptable before God. You don't have to cross an ocean. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to swim to the bottom of the sea to find Jesus. No, you just read him off the pages of Scripture. And for them, back in Deuteronomy 30, they didn't have to climb to heaven on a ladder. They didn't have to cross the whole world. They didn't have to do, perform spiritual heroics. They just needed to trust God. You don't have to perform the spiritual equivalent of Mission Impossible 8. And Ethan Hunt will no doubt jump off crazy buildings and just about manage to survive and dodge gazillion bullets fired at him without a scratch and come up with ingenious plans with phenomenal devices in order to win. You don't have to do that to win heaven. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to be better than anyone else. You don't have to beat the bad guys. You just need to trust the Lord. As Paul puts it, you just need to say, yeah, I think Jesus is Lord. 
and I believe that God raised him from the dead. That's all you need to do. You just trust his promise. See if this works. A little while ago, uh, I was enormously privileged. Uh, a friend, sort of friend of friend, he said, um, look, uh, I'd like you to go and with a couple of others, spend some time on my boat. Well, that's very kind. Apart from his boat is 60 foot long. And uh, that's a big boat. Uh, and uh, it's this beautiful, I mean, just magnificent sailing ship. And it came with a captain uh, and a chef uh, and a first mate. Fantastic. He said, now, you know, the, the only things I ask that you and the others going with you, uh, a few things, don't crash it when you take the helm. You know, fair enough. It's worth a few hundred K. I, I get that. Uh, and uh, you'll pick it up in Barcelona and you just need to get it to Mallorca in three days. Great. Well, there are a few other little regulations that came along with it. You know, you don't use all the water up in, don't have long showers. We're carrying it all. You have to pump the loos before you use them. There are some very odd things. But there are a number of rules, but essentially, don't crash it, get to Mallorca, uh, and don't break anything on board. Well, I can proudly stand here before you this evening and say I kept all of those rules. I kept them all. Well done, me. Of course, the reality is, the rules didn't get me on board the boat. The owner said, here, have a few days on my boat. And I didn't sail all the way from Barcelona to Mallorca. Only a nutter would put me in charge of a boat worth a few hundred K. Okay? No, the captain was my savior. He saved me from capsizing the boat, doing a lot of damage. But I kept all the rules. Yeah, well, well done you. Really, someone did them for you. Oh, yes. Just so. I was on the boat. I kept the rules. But because of the promise of the owner, because of the saving activity of the captain, that's how I kept the rules altogether. And Paul is saying in Romans 10, that's what Moses meant. You can't keep all the rules on your own. You have to trust the promise of the rule giver. And you have to trust that there'll be a savior who'll keep them for you. You have to trust those things. And in that sense, back in Deuteronomy 30, in that sense, Moses can say, look, it's not too difficult, is it? Not too difficult? Because he's not saying, keep each and every one of these regulations. He is saying, trust God. And you can do that. Israel, trust in the promise that he will change your hearts. And so really the whole book comes to a climax in um, verses 15 to 20. He urges them to choose. Choose faith in the Savior, not your own gods. That's the choice he gives them. So verse 15 of chapter 30, back in Deuteronomy. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Life, prosperity, death, a destruction. But you see here the choice is not between, I give you a choice, you'll either pass this legal test the law gives you or fail it. It's not that. It's two paths. It's life or death. It's faith or idolatry. It's grace or trusting your own works. Let me show you. There are two paths. Path one is verse 16. Verse 16, I command you today to what? To love the Lord your God. That is what you have to do. Trust him. 
Um, look, and that'll be seen in your walk in obedience to him. You'll keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you'll live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. That's path one. You trust him. You love him. But your faith is seen in what you do. Daft example, when I drive around London, I, I use Waze. It seems to me the best little app to get you around London. And um, so you put, in your, you, know, you put in the postcode, and um, uh, Waze starts uh, issuing instructions at you in a slightly, uh, uh, slightly mangled vo- voice. But anyway, there it is. And occasionally you think to yourself, mm, I'm not sure about that. In 100 yards, turn right onto the A40. And you think, mm, at 5 o'clock, you're joking. No way. But at that point, I have a choice. If my faith is demonstrated in my actions, do I trust that it knows better than me, that other people of the Saturday, they can look down? And Paul is saying here, verse 16, here's path one, trust the Lord, and that will be seen in your actions. Or path two is verse 17. If your heart turns away and you're not obedient, And if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. Huh. See, it is a choice about who you worship in the end. Will you put your faith in the Lord your God or or other gods? Materialism, moralism, militarism, the gods earlier in chapters uh, 7, 8, 9. What will you choose? See, the choice is not you'll be good enough and pass or fail. The choice is life or death, faith in God or idols, you pursue them. Trust his grace or think you can do it yourself. That is the choice he gives them. And he says to them, choose life. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children may live, and you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Choose to trust him. And you will change. He'll change you. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, uh, the new Solo film. You've seen Solo? Uh, anyone seen that the last couple of days? Been very keen. No, am I keener than most? Uh, well, let me tell you the ending. The, um, uh, but uh, from my view, it's a bit mixed. Uh, uh, some scenes are a bit chaotic. Overall, I quite like it. And there is a massive reveal at the end, which is terrific. Um, so don't Google what happens at the end, because it'll ruin it for you. Uh, but uh, anyway, it got me thinking and reminiscing a little bit. A few years ago, uh, someone extravagantly, uh, not us, but extravagantly bought for my son, age about six, the Lego Death Star. Now, this will mean nothing to many of you. A few are nerdy enough to understand it. But the Lego Death Star, me, uh, the Lego Death Star is 4,236 pieces of Lego. It's massive. It takes a long time to build. This was given as a gift to my six-year-old. He was enormously excited about this. That is more Lego than any child deserves or has ever seen extraordinary, and he made a start. And that many, I mean, the, the instruction book is like a coffee table manual. The instruction book is thicker than the instruction book for my car. And so inevitably, after a while, he got a bit disheartened. He'd made some mistakes, and then would have to spend an hour unpicking things that he'd got wrong and sort of clicked together very closely. And he got demoralized 
and wanted to give up. Now, happily for him, there was one in the household who could help. <laughs> and so sacrificially and uh, unwillingly, uh, I got involved. And all of a sudden, this was, of course, a game changer for him because I sat there with him and I gave him the appropriate pieces and he clicked them into place. All right, next instruction, okay, you'll need these 17 pieces. Go. You know, and then sometimes I'd leave him to it and if he had made a mistake... Rather than him getting really miserable, I'd go and I'd unpick it for him and say, okay, you can start all over again. Now, all of a sudden, his utter despair that he'll ever complete this thing that was very exciting. Well, morale took off a little bit again. But I couldn't change his heart. I could be with him. I could help him. I could undo the things he'd done wrong. I couldn't quite change his heart. Of course, the promise of Deuteronomy 30 to those who are demoralized and think it's quite hard work. I don't seem to be making progress in the Christian faith. And there, there are these issues in particular I keep stumbling. Deuteronomy 30 says, remember the promise of God. He is with you. The Lord Jesus is a savior who will atone for all you do wrong. He'll unpick your errors, as it were. But more than that, even still, he'll dwell within you by his spirit to change you. So you can succeed. Now, this side of heaven will never do it perfectly, but you can change. God comes to the Christian. or so Whenever someone becomes a Christian, God has been at work performing surgery, heart surgery. He has circumcised your heart. His spirit has come and dwelt within you. It's a radical change. And so you can love him. And when you're demoralized, you think, oh, I can't. I've cocked it up again. I've bogged it. Well, remember his promise. He's with you. He's within you to change you. The Lord Jesus will undo all your errors. He'll pay. He'll atone. And you can change. You can love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, because he is at work in you. And that is very wonderful. Let's pray together. Father, on our own, we could make incremental changes, no doubt. Israel at times did all right. They'd got some things right, but they always failed in the end. And they were thrown out of the promised land. Father, how wonderful that we now see far more clearly than them. That the Lord Jesus is one who has paid for all we've done wrong, if we're Christians. He's risen, he's ascended, he's poured out his spirit. So when we become a believer, you are at work in us. We can live differently. We can love you with our hearts, with our souls, with our strength. Father, we thank you and praise you that you don't leave us alone. But you're at work in us so we can change, so we can live lives of obedience to you.
Father, we'll never be perfect this side of heaven, but would we not despair of making progress? For with you dwelling within us by your spirit, we will love you. And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.